Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Seeds and Weeds podcast brought to you by Small House Farm. Join us as we talk with gardeners, foragers, herbalists, chefs, and community activists to explore the many ways that plants impact our cultures and cuisines, our history, and our future. I'm your host, Bevan Cohen, and this is Seeds and Weeds. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're kicking off the year with a very special episode. Today, we're going to be sitting down to chat with Jer Gettle, owner of Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. Jer and I have been friends for a few years now, so it was pretty cool to finally get him on the podcast here. We covered a lot during this interview. We talked about Jer's gardens and his favorite things to grow, what it's like living at the Baker Creek Village, some of Jer's favorite offerings from the 2024 catalog, and we also dug into how Baker Creek is able to offer hundreds of heirloom varieties from around the world, but do it in a way that honors the people, places and the cultures where these seeds call home. It was a great interview. But before we get into that, I just want to talk really quick about this article that I recently read in Edible Wow magazine. The magazine is published by an organization called Edible Communities, and they actually publish more than 80 different magazines, each focused on a particular region. The magazine that I subscribe to, it's called Edible Wow, and it's focused on the culture of food in Southeast Michigan. But they have magazines for regions all over the U.S. So if you live here in the States, I dropped the link to uh, the Edible Communities website down in the show notes, so you can find the magazine that's closest to you. And they also put out a podcast that's called Edible Radio. Man, they're doing some really groovy things over there, all focused on local food. Very, very cool. The latest issue has this article about winter squash. Now, the magazine's all about making the most of seasonal foods. And uh, this article digs into the many different ways that we can cook with squash. And first off, the photography is incredible. It's just gorgeous. But that's not exclusive to this article. The entire magazine is beautiful. It always is. Uh, it's just so well done. In the article, the author talks about eating squash, of course, but also also the skins of the fruits, even using the leaves, demonstrating that there's far more that we can get from our squash outside of just simply the flesh of the fruit. The focus of the article is making use of every part of the plant. And it's a great article, certainly. But what I wanted to mention is that even though the author briefly touches on the culinary use of squash seeds, they never mention pressing those seeds for squash seed oil, which to me is one of the most exciting edible parts of the plant. But no mention of it. Whole article. It's pretty wild. I know that since I press seed into oils, I'm going to notice this sort of like omission of information. But what I think it demonstrates is that so many people are just not aware of it, right? I mean, this is a well-researched article. There's no mention of utilizing the squash seeds to produce this delicious and delightful oil. In my book, The Complete Guide to Seed and Nut Oils, I kind of touch on this a little bit, right? Most of us use seed and nut oils in our kitchens or in our apothecaries almost daily. So many of us are focused on supporting local food systems or producing our own, you know, do-it-yourself style. But somehow the topic of producing our own oils at home always just gets left out of the conversation. And this article is like a perfect example of that. If you're interested in learning more about pressing your own seed and nut oils, I'll put a link down in the show notes to where you can find my book. But seriously, you should check out your local Edible Communities magazines. I mean, they're just such an awesome resource if you're looking to support your local food producers. Before we jump into the interview with Jer, I just want to give a quick shout out to our Patreon community. The support of our Patreon members is what makes this podcast possible. And in turn, they have access to exclusive content, discount codes, seasonal gift packages, and our new herbal co-op program. If you'd like to check out the Patreon and support the show, you can find that link down in the show notes too, or over at patreon.com slash smallhousefarm. This particular episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our friends at Easy Swap Pots, who invite you to get in touch with your roots with their transplantable fabric pots. You know, I started using these Easy Swap Pots last season in our container garden, and let me tell you, man, they are a game changer, especially for your hanging wire baskets, and there's nothing better than their Easy Swap fabric liners. I mean, they help the plants retain moisture, 
and far better than those coconut fibers. Plus, they're handcrafted right in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And they're well-made, too. These Easy Swap fabric liners, they last for multiple gardening seasons. And you can save 15% off your purchase using the discount code SEEDS. So visit EasySwapPots.com and use that coupon code SEEDS. Your swap opportunity awaits. You can also find that link and discount code down in the show notes. Show notes is a busy place. A lot of great information down there. All right. How about that interview? Jared Gettle started Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company when he was 17 years old. With $100 and a tote bin full of heirloom seeds that he had grown on his family's homestead in the Missouri Ozarks. Today, Baker Creek is North America's largest heirloom seed company, offering about a thousand varieties of heirloom seeds from around the world. Though the company has grown from a teenager's hobby to a thriving global business, Jer's passion for heirlooms, gardening, healthy eating, community, and self-sufficiency remains at the heart of the business and serves to inspire others. Jarrett, this is so cool, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit with us today. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here, and I really appreciate everything you do. And uh, it's an exciting time of a year, you know, getting ready for uh, planting and always, always thinking about, you know, what to do next. You know, I always joke that uh, Baker Creek is like the gateway drug for heirloom gardeners. You know, you have introduced so many people to the wide world of heirlooms. Uh, I think you could say that you guys have inspired literally thousands of people to start gardening or saving seeds for the very first time. So I got to ask, Jer, who is your inspiration and what gets you excited about gardening? Oh, I, I, my inspiration, it's so broad. You know, it's just so many different people everywhere from my grandmother to, you know, different people like Kent Wheely from, you know, the one of the co-founders of Seed Savers Exchange to Glenn Drowns and, and people like yourself, you know, just the whole host of different people doing bits and pieces of the whole basic circle. You know, everybody has their section that they're doing education and seed saving or, you know, educating people about what they eat, healthy eating. Uh, but, you know, what, as far as in the garden itself, the thing that gets me the most excited besides all the great people is just being able to see that new tomato that's coming out of that new uh dahlia or petunia or whatever it is what anything out there basically something new something exciting getting to eat that first watermelon of the year you know that's kind of what it's all about i think is that first whether it's the first time of the year or the first time you've seen it in your life either way it's you know totally a a grand experience i would agree with that i would say that like i could see a hundred tomatoes but that first tomato of the year is always just as exciting yeah, it's always, uh, you know, exciting. And then when you get a new variety, that's just double exciting. Absolutely. Now, through Baker Creek, you guys offer, you know, hundreds of heirloom and heritage varieties, historic family seeds, culturally significant varieties. I mean, from all over the world. So, all right, this is going to kind of be of a two-part question. So first off, how are you able to connect with all of these growers and seed savers all around the world? And then secondly, how do you manage offering the seeds in a way that, you know, honors the culture's and people in places that these seeds call home. So yeah, the first part, um, it's just, I guess, little by little, we've made connections, you know, right from the start, you know, the internet was coming out about the time the seed company was starting. So it was a lot of contacts over the internet, but also just meeting people in person, people that would come by the seed store and say, hey, I have something my grandmother grew or my great grandmother grew. That was kind of, especially beginning, that's how a lot of it happened. But now people are sending this stuff literally, you know, about every day, sometimes a couple times a day, you know, either an email or a package of seeds in the mail. And sometimes it's something 
really interesting and other times it's something we already have or has already seen, but it's always exciting to hear from people. And then we've just developed more and more connections, you know, from different organizations and so forth, people that come here or we sometimes go there as well. So it's just made those connections and people are really passionate about what we do and what they do, you know, and so it's kind of a, we just, wherever it works, we try to work with people and, you know, make it so people, uh, we, we can show their work and educate people about what they do. And a lot of times people are really anxious to get their old varieties or new varieties either way out there where people can see them. How do you determine with this many you know, influx of seeds coming your way, how do you determine what's going to be a good fit for the catalog? For as far as our catalog goes, pretty much we're looking for anything that's unusual, exciting and flavorful. So, it, you know, every year we find more and more new and exciting and unusual um, variety. So it's 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 always a good question. And sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes things aren't real popular, but oftentimes it's usually when something's not popular, it's just because we portrayed it wrong or didn't talk about, give people a recipe how to use it, for example. Once people find out about unusual varieties, pretty much almost anything people are interested in, as long as they know what to do with it. It's kind of like bitter melon. At first, you know, people are hesitant and some people are still hesitant, but now a lot of people want to try it because there's more education out about it. So a lot of times it just takes a lot of education to uh, get some of the more unusual crops in the U.S. anyway, unusual here, into public consciousness. Sure, because, you know, a lot of folks, even being new gardeners, and then you offer such a wide variety of different things they've never seen before. They might be hesitant to grow these new things because they don't even know how to use them in the kitchen, right? Correct. So it's always partly education, partly on our part, and partly it's education on a you know a broader consciousness of you know America or society, not just America, but a society in general. You know, trying more different foods. And as far as like honoring cultures and traditions, that's basically kind of what our company is founded on: is not just the seeds themselves, but we wanted to tell the story and make these connections between different cultures, whether it's, you know, a gardener in Africa or a gardener in Thailand or a gardener, you know, next door. We want to build these connections like over the fence sort of where, you know, we're trading information with our neighbors and connecting people and having people meet people from other places and learn about what they're doing and their traditions and their recipes. And that's kind of been our, our big uh, emphasis on uh, the last few years as we get more and more connections and trying to figure out how to bring these connections here to the farm and uh, they're learning. And at the same time, they're teaching. So it's kind of a cross-cultural uh, training experiences, I guess, is what we're working more and more to do. And we learn and they learn and uh, we each get to try each other's food and recipes and seeds. And that makes it, you know, really exciting. That is exciting. And, you know, I find that too, that, you know, when we focus on the things that we have in common, like gardening and seeds and delicious food, we can kind of overlook some of the things, our differences in a way, when we focus on the things that bring us together. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that you guys are doing there. Yeah. And most people, you know, most people have the things that are different about each other are really in general minor. It's like uh, like political issues. At the end of the day, we all get hungry. We all want to take care of our, you know, children. You know, a lot of the political issues, they yes, they may make a big deal, you know, on the outside, but in inside our garden, None of that really matters. You know, on the outside, a lot of these issues do have consequences. But that's the nice thing about being in the garden and gathering with friends in the garden. No, nothing really matters when you're connected in the garden or out in the wilderness or, you know, it's all about that moment and what you're doing in that moment. Now, there in Mansfield, you guys have built the Baker Creek Seed Store. It, it's it's amazing. It's not like visiting a regular seed store. You got this whole village going on, right? You got the seed store and, and the apothecary and the restaurant. I always tell people that visiting Baker Creek is like an experience. And Jared, you live here, uh, which I'm sure is awesome, but you've also created yourself a situation where you live at 
work, which I'm sure also presents these challenges, right? So could you talk to us a little bit about what it's like for you to live right at Baker Creek? Yeah, it is definitely challenging. It basically got built up right around where I grew up, you know, it was a, due to, uh, you know, financial situ- the situation, I didn't have any choice. You know, it was a hobby and it still is a hobby to a point, but it, I didn't have a choice. So I just start- it started in my bedroom and then it grew to a small seed shop. And then we started adding a few other buildings and it just grew little by little. But um, it, it started out with no choice. And now it's kind of hard, though, to think, OK, it is busy and having everything right here. But then also I think, OK, we, we moved 30 minutes away. I would hate to have that drive every day and it is kind of nice to just if we want to see how the pansies are doing i can walk out and look at the pansies in the front yard or walk down the hill and check the carrots or whatever it's kind of it's it also brings its challenges but i can't it's would really hard be hard for me to imagine living you know where i had to drive 30 minutes to work every day now that i'm so used to it and i know you guys are super busy there but do you still have time to get out in the gardens you know get your hands dirty I definitely, um, it depends on the time of the year, but, uh, it's, uh, not as much as I would like, but I, I definitely get out, try to get out every day in the spring and summer and some through the winter, but it's unfortunate. I don't get it as much in the winter time. It's, you know, the busy seed season kind of takes away a lot of the outdoor time, which is kind of nice because it is also the cold season. So, right now you guys got the gardens there, but you've also got a, a few different greenhouses, which allow you to grow quite a variety of different things. You know, of course there's like flowers and herbs and fruits and veggies and all that kind of sort of stuff but very exotic things too that I would I would consider exotic being here in Michigan like oranges and bananas so that's got to be pretty nice but Jerry if you could only grow one thing so I'm going to put you on the spot here if you could only grow one thing what is your absolute favorite thing to grow Ooh, that's a, that's a hard decision because it changes. It depends on the time of the year. Right now, it's citrus. Right now, because we can grow the citrus inside, and you know, but and with the leafy greens. But yeah, one crop. Oh, that's a that's a really tough question. Um, to be honest, I can't really think of the single crop I enjoy the most. Probably if I had to grow one crop. Um, oh, that that's a tough. Probably melons. Melons are probably right at the top of my list. But there's you know that's it's it's kind of like picking your favorite child. You know it's. Almost impossible. <laughs> yeah, I know it's an impossible question. And I'm just like you, man, like a hey, what I my favorite thing changes throughout the year. You know, like that first tomato of the summer, that is my favorite thing to have ever grown. But you know, then we get into hot peppers and some year I'm I'm into corn. You know, it, it really changes throughout each year. But throughout the seasons too, so yeah, definitely, yeah. Each season, it's uh, you know, right now at the moment, my favorite thing to grow is oranges. But you know, come next summer, it'll be melons, and you know, earlier in the summer, it'd be tomatoes, and then. But you know, I also really love growing cauliflower in the winter because it does so well in the greenhouses here and spring. The cauliflower is amazing. So it just changes. And I also get tired of things after a while, like everybody else. So it's kind of like after a while, when having cauliflower all winter, I'm ready for, you know, green beans or something else. So, oh yeah, diversity is just, you know, so amazing on this planet. You know, all the different things that people have selected for over the years and different, you know, the tomato, for just for example, you know, it's used so many different ways by so many different cultures. And uh, it's just telling the story of just tomato, you know, and the cultural use would be a multiple series of books if it was all told. But, uh, you know, and that's just one crop. It's just the diversity of people, uh, cultures, climates, and what people do with fruits and vegetables is, you know, that's that's half the excitement of, uh, you know, growing the fruits and vegetables is learning about the processes and what what they're good for and what they're used for. Yeah, I think that makes, you know, gardening is like a lifetime activity because every year you have all these new things that you can experience and, and try and learn. Uh, it never ends. It'll go on forever. Yeah, it's, it's always adjusting and adapting and changing. For sure. You know, one of my favorite things to do when I come down to Baker Creek is to visit the restaurant. Uh, and it's strictly vegetarian, right? But is it straight up? Is it vegan? 
It is. Yeah, we're, it's uh, 100% vegan. And a lot of the produce is grown here on the farm. Uh, the majority is. Um, and then the what isn't is basically 99% of what isn't is sourced from local farms in the area here. Even like the rice that we use is from a local farm. And the even as far as like the plates and the bowls go are made like a mile and a half from here. So all the, the dishware is all made here. So we're pretty much down to like the salt is one of the few things that isn't actually made here. Wow. What's your favorite thing on the menu there right now? Oh, it, it varies. But my favorite one right now is probably it's a pasta, pepper pasta uh, with a uh, pepper sauce and then grilled peppers on top. Uh, that's probably my favorite thing right now. It's the peppers have been really good, although that's starting to go away But um, as our peppers go away. But e- each season it changes. But that's been one of my favorites this last fall is the grilled peppers on the homemade pasta. It's got to be quite a challenge for the cooks there to be able to continually you know, evolve the menu with what is seasonally available. It, it is a bit of a challenge, but we only have a small menu, so that helps. So we keep a small menu of items anywhere from two or three or four a day usually. So That's awesome. All right. Now let's dig into the catalog a little bit. So this is the largest seed catalog around, right? So that's got to be quite a task for you guys to put together every year. Putting the whole seed catalog together is is definitely a challenge. That's probably our biggest single project that we have to do every single year is, uh, you know, the whole seed catalog. It's definitely um, a lot of editing and a lot of uh, room for mistakes every single season. But uh, we do have a great team and um, we're always building and uh, adjusting and editing and changing and trying to, uh, you know, improve it each year. And there's hundreds of varieties in this catalog. And then there's, I mean, beautiful photos and seed stories. It's it's a work of art that you guys create there. It's absolutely amazing. So is it fair to say that it's just as much of a collector's item as it is a seed catalog? I hope so. But, you know, it, it depends on somebody's point of view. But we're trying to make something that's more than just, you know, a standard catalog. So there's more information there so people can use it. And also we're trying to get the photos to the point where, you know, the, you know, people look at the photos and kind of feel like they're visiting or have seen the actual place where we live, you know, try to bring it to life a little bit, see a lot of the people that work here, the people that grow seeds for us and, uh, you know, try to make it so it's more than just seeing the vegetables. We're also trying to show the stories behind the seeds a bit. And, you know, one thing that I love, I love the whole catalog and I got a stack um, every year. I, it's a collector's item for me, Jared, for sure. I love to flip through them. They're, they're beautiful, but I love that you guys put the recipes in there because just like we were talking about, that helps people find new ways ways to experience the fruits and vegetables, which I think kind of opens the door to them trying the new thing. No, it's definitely, I think, especially on crops that are unfamiliar, but even anymore though, so many people are unfamiliar with a lot of basic cooking um, that uh, I think it helps in almost every crop because, uh, you know, a lot of things people just don't uh, do anymore, but especially on those crops, like, you know, like we mentioned bitter melon or uh, even things like asparagus, a lot of people aren't familiar with cooking asparagus or, uh, you know, uh, Chinese broccoli or, you know, even uh, uh, like bok choy and collard greens are again, you know, a lot of people aren't, they might've eaten them in restaurants, but they've never cooked them themselves. You guys offer a lot of different Asian greens in the catalog. Um, one year, last year, year before they kind of all blur together each season, kind of a little bit for me, but one year I ordered every Asian green that you guys had in the catalog and grew them all. And it was fantastic. Just to, especially cause a lot of them seem to be pretty cold hardy. So they do well for me here. Um, in the early spring and fall, quite a selection of them. Why is it that you guys offer such a wide selection of Asian fruits and vegetables? 
I have a lot of interest in them, and they're also, um, you know, I love I love Asian greens, especially the bok choys and tatsoys and so forth. It's one of my favorite foods. But uh, also the demand is high. Um, we sell approximately twice as much like bok choy and Asian greens, actually, as we do like kale. So it's uh, a huge demand for our company anyway. It's gotten stronger and stronger every year. I think people like the tenderness of the Asian leafy vegetables versus more European uh, leafy vegetables like kale, which is not necessarily just European, but it's kind of its homeland, I guess you would say. So they, they tend to have a more tough, chewier texture. Some people love that. But overall, I think on average, the average customer prefers the Asian vegetables. And and then I think the other thing with Asian vegetables in general, they are very common in many places. But in the U.S., they have only become more common in the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And in many cases, it was it seems like around, you know, the, the last World War, a lot of uh, the interest in uh Japanese vegetables in particular kind of disappeared for a, a short period. And then, you know, the 70s and 80s, it start, started taking off again. But a lot of times then it was just like one bok choy was bok choy. And it's only been in the last 20 years or so where, you know, people started realizing, okay, there's baby bok choy and there's the big bok choy and there's the dark green bok choy and the white stem bok choy. And the same with bitter melon. You know, it, was, it used to be a bitter melon in the catalogs was just bitter melon. And now, you know, there's multiple varieties. There was always multiple varieties, but in the U.S. it was pretty much of a catalog listed something that was just bitter melon or the same with basil. You know, it used to be just basil. And uh, now there's a whole host of different Italian basils and Greek basils and Thai basils. And consumers, I think, are wanting to taste things from the actual uh, culture where the dish is made. Like if you're cooking Thai food, you want Thai basil because otherwise it just doesn't taste like Thai food. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think, honestly, Baker Creek is kind of responsible in some part for introducing people to all of these different varieties. A few of them, a lot of them, you know, there's a lot of them are it's abroad overall, but, you know, a few things we've definitely, like the Chinese pink celery, that's one that wasn't here in the U.S. before, as far as we know, before we introduced it about six or so years ago. Uh, there's a few things that we've introduced that are entirely new. M many things were already kind of introduced, but we might have helped popularize them in some to some extent, but a lot of them had, some of the things that had already been popularized, but, you know, there is a few things we kind of help popularize that's true for sure but in general i think it's the whole the whole movement and consciousness toward uh you know healthier eating in general there's so many different players from you know yourself to martha stewart to you know seed savers to you know hudson valley you know on and on and on there's so many different players that all fill different gaps to uh you know raise awareness not to mention all the chefs and tv hosts and so forth that show people okay here's you know the baby bok choy and then suddenly everybody wants to try baby bok choy I don't know if I've ever been put on the same list as Martha Stewart before. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just the whole consciousness of so many different people gardening on so many different levels. You know, you have people that are uh, and, and the access to um, social media and, you know, uh, YouTube and so forth has made it so easy to learn about the differences in uh, tat soy and bok choy. I mean, it, before it was kind of like really hard when you had to try to find it in a catalog and it just wasn't there. Now it's, it's so much in people's awareness. So I'm going to put you on the spot again, Jer. What are a few of your favorite offerings from this year's catalog? Oh, that's yeah, a really tough, tough question. Um, oh, man. Yeah. I, one of my favorite things that we've gotten both last year and this year, new varieties is the stock, uh, stock flowers from Japan. My favorite one is actually not in the catalog yet, but it's just going online now. It's the baby rainbow stock. That's probably my absolute favorite stock flower we've raised so far. It's um, a short dwarf one, so it's good for growing in pots, but the flowers are multicolored. They're like cream, pink, and yellow. 
and uh, just gorgeous, gorgeous, like color combination. Uh, stocks is probably one of my favorite new categories. It's been in the catalog now for a year, but we're adding more. Overall, though, I, I just love growing stocks anytime in the cool, cool weather in the winter or spring or fall. They produce more fragrance and color, I think, than any other flower I've ever seen. Wow. Okay. And you said that that one, the, the baby rainbow, that's not in the catalog, but it is going to be online. It's it's online now, but, uh, you know, stocks are incredibly um, easy to grow as long as it's cool weather. And the thing I like about them, they're also perfect for, you know, edible salads. They're great tossed in salads. They're just fantastic for um, coloring up a uh, salad or also they make great like jellies or jams and they're a natural food coloring too. So that's one of the things I really, really like about that crop in general. I appreciate that a lot because here at Small House, you know, we have a limited amount of space for things. So if we can grow a crop that we can do many things with, something that's beautiful, something that's edible, something that we can use as a dye plant. I mean, all those different things to be able to get multiple uses from one plant. Those always go to the top of my list. Those are my favorite things to grow too. You know, there's so many, but another favorite is the Indian snake cucumber, which is really similar to the Armenian yard long cucumbers, except um, most of the Armenian strains we've tried grow about two feet or a little longer, you know, and they're, they're actually, you know, not very edible past about 18 inches or so. These Indian snake cucumbers, which is a strain, a similar strain to the, you know, the Armenian cucumber, but it's a different variety. These will grow four feet or more, and they're actually edible to about three feet. It's basically about twice the size of your standard Armenian cucumber, which they used to call them yard-long cucumbers. And occasionally somebody might get a yard-long one, but they wouldn't be anywhere near edible. And I've never seen one reach over 30 inches. So these guys will, on average, will be about twice as long. We grew both of them side by side. And the Armenians get fat and kind of thick. These stay long and slender like a snake, even when they're four feet long. So it's definitely, it's a it's actually a melon relative, or it's closely, it's, it's a, you know, a melon. Uh, subspecies. So it's actually a, you know, more related to a cantaloupe than a cucumber, but you use it like a, you know, a, a cucumber and uh, just fantastic size to those. So it's uh, definitely probably was the coolest new cucumber plant type thing I grew this year. That's awesome. All right. So what is on the horizon for Baker Creek? Uh, what are the big things you're excited about doing this year? Oh, there's multiple different things. One thing though, we're working on is a whole, uh, it's a project that we're a breeding project. So we're working on a whole bunch of new colors of like pansies and celosias and uh, flower breeding in general, as well as a few other things like melons and other things we're doing some breeding work on. So that's one thing new that we're uh, excited about, as well as we've got a collection of um, an old plant breeder who just recently passed away in Japan, a whole collection of their celosia and coxcombs from his daughter, who uh, is, uh, he, he passed away around 90. He'd been doing this for the last 20 years or so as a retirement hobby, but he came out with all these like sunset shades of these celosias with the most amazing, uh, kind of like the Chinese wool but even longer um, threads of, uh, I don't know what it would be called. The, the threads on them look like huge balls of uh, fuzz or fur. And all these like 15 different colors of uh, like autumn shades and sunset shades. So I'm really excited to be growing those this year. That's probably my single biggest excitement for uh, one project this year is the 15 varieties that we're going to be sowing. And some of them are, are bicolored. So one flower will be like lemon and red or, you know, uh, orange and pink. So I'm really excited to, you know, see all the, the diversity in those. Plus try to keep them alive because uh, obviously, you know, they're somewhat endangered. His daughter is getting elderly as well. And 
and you know he just passed away. So these are the kind of situations we love to find and try to preserve them, and then tell his story and their family's story around these Solosius. Oh, that's amazing! That's very cool. And are you going to have all of the uh, different festivals and stuff again this year? We plan to have them all uh, April, May, uh, and then the expo in um, September, and then again in October we have a harvest festival here at uh, Missouri again. So four festivals. Fantastic! I'm looking forward to that, Jared. This was super fun, man. Thank you again for taking the time to be on the show with us today. Really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to seeing you again. Hopefully we can catch up again sometime sooner than later. And there we go, my friends. Another episode in the books. Big thanks to Jared Gettle for joining us today and to all of you for tuning in. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider joining our Patreon community. You can find that link and many more at seedsandweedspodcast.com. This episode was edited and produced by all of us here at Small House Farm. And the music you're enjoying right now is called Happy Ukulele by Less FM. Thanks again, my friends. I'm Bevan Cohen, and we'll see you next time. Howdy friends, Bevan here. You know, the Seeds and Weeds podcast is made possible in part by Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company, rareseeds.com. They're America's top source for rare and heirloom varieties from around the world, and they're publisher of the Whole Seed Catalog. Their 2024 catalog is chocked full of heirloom goodness, new varieties, recipes, stories, and gorgeous photographs. You can order yours now at rareseeds.com.